Well, I think you would agree with me that, that 2020 has been a crazy year. And the crazy thing is, it's just over halfway over. I mean, we began with this virus that, that originated in China and quickly became a worldwide pandemic. It's not only made a number of people sick and killed a number of people, it shut down the world's economy. And it shut down churches nationwide, at the very least. Many of those churches are still shut down. And then it seems like that, that our problems with Iran and China have, have been escalated in the, in the last couple of months. And then we've had all of these problems politically. It seems like we're more divided politically than we have ever been, at least in my lifetime. And, and the way it looks, though it may not be this way, it looks like that we are more divided racially than we've ever been, maybe in, in my lifetime. And then we were supposed to have those killer hornets. I'm glad they didn't make it to us. And then we've had all of these natural disasters that have been going on for a while have continued this year. And because of this, there are many people who, who are at the very least asking, are we in the end times? Have we entered into the beginning of the tribulation? There are some on social media and on the internet who are, who are posting videos that are telling us all kinds of things from dreams and, and visions and, and things that they have discovered in God's Word. I watch one video from a pastor in another state and, and goodness gracious, I hope he's not right. Because if he is, let me tell you, it's going to get really bad in the next couple of months here in America. If you think we've seen rioting and looting, you haven't seen anything if he's right. And so there are a lot of people that are thinking that. A lot of people have questions. So what is the truth? Are we in the end times? Is, is this the beginning of the tribulation? When is Jesus going to come back? Well, before I answer those questions, I want you to know that these are questions that followers of Jesus have had since Jesus went back into heaven, even before that. When Jesus was still here, still here on this earth, his disciples would often ask him, when is the end coming? When are you going to rule and reign? Because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the, the Christ, the chosen one. And they believed that he would not only bring deliverance for Israel, but he would rule and reign over the entire world. They believed that. And we believe that. And so they would often ask Jesus, when is, when is this going to happen? And there was one time toward the end of Jesus' ministry, when he was walking through the temple area, and he began to talk to his disciples, and a little bit later on, he talked to them a little more in detail. That passage is found in Matthew chapter 24, and that's what I want us to be focused on this morning, Matthew chapter 24. I want you to listen to what Jesus said at the very beginning of this passage in response to a question. It says, as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another one. Now that happened about 20 or 30 years after Jesus said that. 
The Romans came in and they completely demolished, they completely destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. But then it goes on and it says something else. It says, later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came up to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? In other words, the thing that you have said about the temple being destroyed, when is that going to happen? And then they said, what sign will signal your return? They, they felt like Jesus was going to leave because he had told them he would, and he did. And then they said, when will you return? And then they said, and the end of the world. So what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? You see, the disciples wanted to know when this evil, wicked world filled with injustice was going to end. They wanted to know when Jesus was going to come back and set up his kingdom, a righteous kingdom, where he was going to rule and reign forever. Those are questions they had. And, and those are questions, quite honestly, that every single true believer have had since Jesus went back up into heaven. And there are many people throughout history and, and even in the most recent history that have tried to tell us when Jesus was going to come back. There's one guy, Edgar Wisnott, that wrote a book in 1988 entitled 88 Reasons the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. Guess what? Didn't happen. And then there was this other guy. He was a, um, he's a radio preacher, Harold Camping. He wrote a book predicting that the Lord would return in 1994, September of 1994. It didn't happen. So he went back to the drawing board and began to look at the Bible again, and he said that he was wrong. We knew that. The world would end May the 21st in 2011. Guess what? It didn't happen. So we went back. He made a few minor adjustments, and he said it's going to end October the 21st, 2011. It didn't happen. And even today, as we're meeting here, there are people that are telling us that the Lord is going to come back at this time, and the Lord is going to come back at this time, or the Lord is going to come back at this time. But I want you to listen to what Jesus said. He said in Matthew 24, verse 36, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. Did you hear that? Jesus said, the angels don't know. I don't even know. Jesus, God in the flesh, did not know when he was going to return. He said, only the Father knows. And so you need to understand that it is foolish for you and I to try to pinpoint dates on when Jesus is going to return. It's foolish for us to try to pinpoint what is going on in human history. Because Jesus said, I don't even know. But even though we can't know the day or the hour, the Bible does say that we can, we can know the season that we're in. Jesus said in verses 32 and 33, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return, my return, is very near, right at the door. You see, you can look at a tree, and if you know anything about the tree or the kind of tree it is, you can tell what season we're in. 
In Israel, when Jesus was here on this earth, I mean, fig trees were all over the place. And Jesus said, you can look at a fig tree. And, and depending on whether it is barren, depending on whether it is sprouting blooms, or depending on whether it has figs on it, you can tell what season we're in. And then Jesus said, the same is true with the end time. The same is true with my return. You cannot know the day or the hour, but if you know how to read the signs, you can know what season we are in. And Matthew 24, and then the parallel passages in Mark 13 and Luke 21, they give us a picture of what the future is going to look like when we come toward the end of the age. And Jesus begins by giving us some signs, some signs by which we can know that the end is getting closer. Now, understand, these are signs that tell us the end is getting closer. It doesn't tell us that the end is here. It tells us that the end is getting near. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to read all of this passage. But I want to tell you what Jesus said is going to look like as the end gets near. First of all, he said that it will be a time of spiritual confusion. I mean, as Jesus' return gets closer and closer, there will be a proliferation of false messiahs, antichrists, false teachers, and a variety of teachings that confuse people, that mislead people, that deceive people, that will lead up to the final antichrist it talks about in, in the New Testament, in, in, in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and in Revelation. You see, the problem is today that we live in a day and age where people are easily deceived. And people believe all kinds of things. Our problem is not that people don't believe. Our problem is that people believe anything and everything. A recent survey of evangelical Christians Evangelical Christians are those who are supposed to believe the Bible. A recent survey of evangelical Christians said that 57% of evangelical Christians believe that many religions lead to heaven. 57%. And yet Jesus said, and this is found throughout Scripture, but Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And yet many evangelicals say, well, there's many ways to God. They are denying the very words of Jesus. Paul said it this way. He says, in the end times, there will be a form of godliness, but it will lack real power. And I got to tell you, we are living in a day and age where there is a lot of religion, but there's not much power. We talk about loving Jesus, and yet it doesn't even seem that we have the power to live for him. Something is wrong. There will be spiritual confusion. Next, Jesus said there will be global conflicts. I recently read that there were more wars fought in the 20th century than the rest of human history combined. Did you get that? More wars fought in the 20th century than the rest of human history combined. Since 1945, the end of World War II, our world has only seen three weeks of peace. 
without some war or some major conflict. We've had the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Six-Day War, the Gulf War, the war in Afghanistan. There have been 250 major conflicts throughout the world. And at any given moment, a regional conflict can erupt into a world war. I mean, I don't know if you follow the news or not, but back in January, we killed a terrorist. He called himself an Iranian general. He was a terrorist. We killed him. Since that time, our relationship has always been, but since that time, we've been on edge with Iran. You know, don't you, that if Iran does something crazy, we will respond. And if we respond, then I want you to know that other countries will get involved. And that could lead to a world escalation at any time this could happen. Then Jesus said, as the end draws near, there will be natural catastrophes. Today, over 41,000 people will die of starvation. 28 people every minute. Two billion people go to bed hungry throughout the world every single night. In some places, entire nations are ravaged by starvation and drought. Earthquakes. In the last 20 years, earthquakes have increased four times the amount that they were happening in the 1900s. Did you hear that? In the last 20 years, the amount and severity of, in, of earthquakes have increased four times. A major earthquake occurs somewhere in the world every four days. A major earthquake. Since 2000, there have been five earthquakes that have killed over 50 thousand people one earthquake natural disasters but then this is what Jesus said he said all these things are the beginning of birth pains now every mother knows about birth pains we had four kids and my wife knows about birth pains I know about birth pains secondhand watching birth pains but this is what I know about birth pains as a baby gets closer and closer to being delivered, the pain intensifies and the pain becomes more frequent. And what Jesus said is when these things happen that he's already mentioned, the birth pains are beginning. The baby isn't ready to be born. The birth pains are just beginning. And then, as it gets closer and closer, the birth pains are going to be more, um, more frequent, and they're going to be more in intensity as well. And so Jesus goes on. He says, as we get closer and closer to the end, there will be terrible persecution or tribulation for believers. About 100 million Christians in 65 countries suffer persecution or tribulation on a regular basis. Since A.D. 30 to about 2000 A.D., 70 million people were killed by their, because of their faith. Since 2000, 45 million people have been killed because of their faith. All around the world, believers have been um, shot and prisoned, beheaded, crucified, 
simply because of their faith in Jesus. And Jesus then said, it's going to get worse. You and I better get ready. I want you to listen to me for a second. There are some that say because several governors have told churches they can't open and meet in person and because another governor has said that only 50 people can meet in any church regardless of the size or because of some ruling from the Supreme Court that we are facing persecution in America as believers. Listen to me. That's a slap in the face to Christians all around the world who are suffering real persecution. Don't get me wrong. If things don't change and we don't experience a revival, persecution is coming to believers in America. Mark my word. But we haven't experienced persecution yet. There are some that say because of the things that are happening, we're in the beginning stages of the tribulation. But I want you to know that there is a difference between tribulation and the tribulation. You see, tribulation is the result of God's anger, or excuse me, Satan's anger being poured out on God's saints. That's what tribulation is. Satan's anger being poured out on God's saints. But the tribulation is God's anger being poured out on a sinful, defiant world. And there is a difference. In Revelation chapter 6, a, a passage where it begins to talk about this final day of tribulation, the wrath of the Lamb, from chapter 6 to chapter 19, this is what it says. It says, Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, and they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne And from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who is able to survive it? That word wrath is the Greek word orge. Which means explosive anger. It means vengeance. I want you to listen. I believe with all my heart. Believers go through times of tribulation. But I don't believe the Bible teaches that you and I, as true believers, will go through the tribulation. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But Jesus went on. He said that as we get closer to the end times, there will be a turning away. As this persecution intensifies for God's people, and it becomes more and more difficult for God's people to flesh out their faith more and more people will turn from their faith. I want you to listen. And I don't want to get into an argument. And I know there's a lot of different ideas about what is going on in the world today with this global pandemic and the coronavirus. But there are some that say when this is all over, people are going to flood the church. I, I hope that's true. I don't think it's true. I want you to hear me. I think when this is all said and done, church attendance in America is going to be reduced by about 25%. I think many people are going to become complacent staying at home. People who were very active, very faithful are going to become complacent because they've gotten used to it. And understand, some will say, well, I can 
worship just as easy on a screen of a computer on my TV as I can in, in person. No, you can't. The church, ecclesia, the word, means a gathered community. The church is a gathered group that then scatters to change the world. That's why the author of Hebrews said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are already doing, knowing that the day of the Lord's appearing is near. We need to gather together today more than ever before. The Apostle John said this, he said, these people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us, otherwise they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they didn't really belong. And I want you to hear me. There are all kinds of reasons that people are home. Some people don't need to be here because of their health. There are others that are, are very concerned about their health. But I'm telling you that when this is all said and done, people who would have considered themselves active and regular in church are going to be nowhere to be found. And that's a tragedy. It's a falling away. And then listen to something else Jesus said. He said this in verse 14. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear. Then the end will come. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying we don't need to worry ourselves about the when. We need to focus on the what he has told us to do. And that is to preach the gospel to all the nations. 6,000 people groups around the world do not have a church planning movement among them. That doesn't mean there aren't any people in those people groups that know Jesus. It means that there isn't a sustainable church planning movement among them. And until the entire world has had the opportunity to hear about Jesus and respond and receive him, we do not need to stop. And we don't need to concern ourselves about when he's going to come. That'll take care of itself. And you're worrying about it, you're concerning about it, you're studying on it, you're trying to figure it out, isn't going to change it at all. It's just going to keep you preoccupied with less important things. So Jesus told us a little bit about what is taking place as we get closer to that day. Then he tells us how it will be when he returns. Listen to what he says in verses 37 through 41. He says, when the Son of Man returns... It will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man returns. Then he said this. He said, two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, that's how it will be when the Son of Man returns. How was it in the day of Noah? Well, everybody was just doing what they were always doing, living their life in rebellion, in defiance against God. They weren't expecting God to do anything. Many of them didn't even believe in God. But then God's judgment came, and no one was ready. And Jesus said, that's how it's going to be when the Son of Man returns. And then he said, one will be taken, the other will be left. 
Now, Christians disagree on this, but I believe what Jesus is talking about here is the rapture, that moment when the dead who are in Christ will arise and those who are alive in Christ will meet him in the air and we will be with him forever. I want you to listen. I believe that we are living in these last days coming to the very end. And the very next event on the global calendar will be the rapture of the church when Christ returns in the air to take his people out of this world. One will be taken. One will be left. The world will be unprepared. And then what happens next? Tribulation. The wrath of the Lamb. You see, I believe that God has taken his children out of this world before God pours out his judgment on this world. You say, Rocky, why do you believe that? Well, a number of reasons, a number of passages, but let me just give you a, a few. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9 says, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath or gay, this, this righteous vengeance of God, but to receive salvation, deliverance through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10 says, Jesus rescues us from the coming wrath, that vengeance, that anger of God. Revelation 3.10 says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to test those who live in the earth. You see, the tribulation is not for God's children. We see over and over and over again throughout God's word that God does not bring judgment on his children. When God brought judgment to the world through the flood with Noah, what did he do first? He delivered Noah. When God brought judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah because of those evil, wicked cities, what did he do first? He delivered righteous Lot. And the Bible seems to indicate whenever God pours out his righteous judgment upon the sinful world, he always removes his people before that judgment is poured out. So what do we need to do? We need to make sure we're ready. Jesus was wrapping up this chapter in verse 42. He says, so you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. In other words, be ready. Be prepared. Don't think you have plenty of time. Make sure you're right. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. He said in 1 Thessalonians 5, For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. So what do we need to do? We need to, first of all, make sure we're ready and then second of all, we need to be about the task that he's given us to do, the task of preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel to the end of the age and to the ends of the earth. That's what we're to do. So what about you? Are you ready? Because I'm here to tell you, I want you to look at me. When he comes back, there are going to be a lot of people who are involved in church who aren't taken. There are going to be people who have been baptized who aren't taken. There are going to be people who prayed prayers who aren't taken. 
Because understand, being involved in the church, reading your Bible, being baptized, saying your prayers doesn't get you to heaven. You've got to be born again. And Jesus said when you're born again, God's spirit comes to live in us and change us and we are made new people. That happens when we humble ourselves before Almighty God. We turn from our sin and rebellion. We trust Jesus to save us and we surrender our life to him. The people who have told you all you got to do is have faith, they've lied. Because the faith that you think is faith is not a saving faith. The faith that saves is a faith that transforms. It's a faith that changes you from the inside out. It changes your desires and it changes the way you live. And so you don't need to ask yourself, have you prayed a prayer? Have you been baptized? Do you come to church? You need to ask yourself, have I been born again? Is God's spirit living in me? Do I want to live for Jesus more than anything else in life? Because if not, chances are you're not ready. And I'm not trying to scare you. I just so desperately want you to be ready. Because it could be today could be tomorrow we don't know but we can know we're ready would you bow your head with your head bowed with your eyes closed if you're here and you know in your heart of hearts right now that you're not ready and you're ready to humble yourself and make a commitment to Jesus then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer to him humbly right now. Dear God, I humbly come before you asking you to forgive me. I've lived my life my way. I've sinned. I've been complacent. I've played religious games. I've gone through the motions. Knowing that your spirit has never come into me to change me. I can't live this way any longer. Today I'm trusting you, Jesus, to save me. I'm trusting you with my life. I'm giving you control. I'm surrendering to you. Whatever you want me to do, I'm yours. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Change me from the inside out. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing. Thank you for saving me.